Yeah. Not, not, not the TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with giving news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, and I've got to say, after a week of fun with my co-host Nico Reistek at Camp Horizon, followed by a vacation, i got to say, feels good to be back. Don't you think so, Nico? Absolutely. This week we are recording on location from Camp Horizon to study the experience that average everyday people have with watching television. We're also using this episode as an advertisement to show the listeners how rewarding and downright fun it is to attend a camp for people with disabilities. And before we get things started, I'd actually like to have an official named Dan Persak to give a little bit of insight behind the fun at Camp Horizon. And he's going to start out sharing this information with us right now. Hi, my name is Dan Persak. I have probably been a member of the Association of Horizon for 19 years. I started with Horizon in its inception back in 1992. Horizon was essentially formed. MDA cut their funding for their camps at that time, and they limited their age to 21. So anybody that was 21 or over did not have a, a summer camp to go to. People that had graduated from those camps and that were older decided they didn't want their camping experience to end. This was the first year I became involved. I was actually called to an assembly in my high school, and I heard the people from what was soon to be Association of Horizon at that time. They talked about the camping experience. They talked about what a life-changing experience it would be, the joy that I would receive from this. And I was interested, well, as a 17-year-old kid, I was interested for numerous reasons. I do have a couple family members that are disabled, so this is something for me that probably hit a little closer to home than some people. Also, at that age, when you realize that you can leave your parents for a week and they can't yell at you because you're doing something good, it's kind of a cool thing. But I was really generally interested at that time. So I decided to sign up, and it was one of those things where you can listen to people talk and sort of blow in the face, but until you actually experience it, you don't truly understand. And I went through my first year with, I think, not so much expectations as an open mind, because I wasn't really, even though they were good about informing me about the camp, I don't think I was really sure what to expect. And my first year, I was actually through a slip-up in how they paired people up. One volunteer didn't show up, and my camper didn't show up, so I was actually paired up with a guy that was considered one of the most difficult campers of the campsite. He was a quad, and he had a lot of other issues going on. And at that time, probably one of the longest weeks of my life. But at the same time, I can really look back on it now and say it was the best week of my life because it was the week that made me fall in love with Horizon. That first year, I learned to see a different side of people, especially coming to a camp such as this where there are numerous disabilities, not just muscular dystrophy, there's CP. We've had blind people up here before. We've had, like I said, numerous people with numerous disabilities, and you really learn to turn a blind eye to everything else other than that person. You learn to see past wheelchairs and the equipment that they have, 
you see this speech impediments, walking disabilities, you know, whatever the case is, you learn to really see people for people and understand that just because somebody can't walk, somebody can't communicate as well as you can, they're just as smart, if not smarter, than a lot of people out there. And if you just give them a little bit of time, they can communicate what they need to. It's really changed my life. I, some of my best friends and a majority of the people that I consider my really good friends, just about all of them came through Association Horizon. It's a, I always kind of say it's like a place like no other. It's somewhere, when I plan, this is the one vacation that I plan from work every year for probably the last 15 years because it's that special. I always equivalate it to leaving reality and coming to uh, kind of this, it sounds corny, but kind of this magical place where there's a little bit of music and you see a few cell phones floating around, but there's no TVs around here anywhere. It's a very relaxing place where you can come and it really gives you the opportunity to get to know somebody. If you really give this place a chance, I think that's the best thing that you get out of it. You're disconnected from the real world to a certain extent. You don't have TVs, you don't have hustle and bustle of work to worry about. Nobody up here worries about bills. You're really up here to concentrate on people, as people. There's no such thing up here as race. There's no such thing as worries about religion or anything else. We worry about people as people. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what background you are. The only thing that matters is why you're here. That's what matters to everybody here. It's something you really have to experience. But yeah, for me, like I said, it has been life-changing because I really, to backtrack, I really, at an early age, at 17, before I came to camp, I had a little bit of an understanding of a disability or two and how they affected people. But coming up to here, really talking to all the people up here, everybody up here was very accepting. The one interesting thing I found my first year that I really kind of threw me off until I really started getting to know people. As I got to learn some of the campers and some of the dis different disabilities, I learned how open they were when it came to actually discussing their disabilities. When I was young, I was always a bit uncomfortable with that because I was always under the impression that somebody with a disability wouldn't want to talk about it. And it wasn't necessarily that they were embarrassed or ashamed, but they would just kind of wanted to keep it to themselves. And I've kind of learned that it's the exact opposite, that we really, and when I say we, I mean that respectfully as a member of this organization for so long, but we really want people to see that although disability may be a little bit unfortunate, it should not be a setback or a drawback to anything. And that's one thing that I have learned that I did learn that 19 years ago. And to this day, I still carry that with me. And I think that's one of the things that brings my passion out with Horizon is the fact that I can come and I can talk to these people about these things and we can really do something special. We give a week here where people can, you know, I say I get out of reality um, and I come to my magical place and I think it's the same for a lot of the people over here. The people, and although I hate distinguishing between campers and volunteers, I do in certain aspects and like I know with the campers, a lot of them, the ones that are lucky enough to have good homes with the families that care about them, with the families that can take care of them, that can provide for them, it's a good chance for the families to get a break for a week. They're helping out their family members all year long and it's tough getting up at certain times every day and everybody in these families, they 
Beyond having to help whoever has a disability, they have to go to their jobs and work and they have to make sure they've got time constraints with everything. You know, these guys have to, they have to get up, they have to help their people get ready and then they go off to work and whatever and then when they come home from work, then besides having to do laundry and take care of the kids and do everything else that everybody else in America has to do, they also have extra needs that they have to help take care of as well. So it's a good week for those families to really kind of get a break and they can, even if it's not going on vacation or going anywhere, it gives them a chance just to have a week to kind of relax a little bit and take it easy. For our members from maybe nursing homes or special needs homes, I believe it's a little bit more important for them in the fact that this camp truly gives them freedom. A lot of times when they're at the homes, they have to follow exact set schedules where they have to be up at a certain time, they have to eat meals at a certain time, they have a certain time for baths. If they have time to go outside and enjoy the fresh air, they might have a 45 or one hour minute time frame where they can go out and then after that they have to go in because it's either time for another meal or for the bathroom or for a shower or for bed or whatever the case is when they come up here they have the freedom where something as simple as if they want to sleep through a breakfast because they really want to just have an extra day where they can sleep they can do that if they want to come out and they want to just sit outside and enjoy the sun and enjoy the weather and not be constrained and be told, okay, you've got 10 minutes left and then you have to go in because this is going on. They can do that. They have freedom. There's numerous activities we have up here. We have arts and crafts every day. We do have horseback riding, archery. We have a waterfront opening where you can go canoeing, pontoon boats that go out. There is fishing. We do have workshops that come in. We have a swimming pool that's fully accessible. Anybody can get in and out of that every day, which is a fan favorite up here if it's sunny on a day. During the afternoon, that's where you're going to see the majority of camp. do have spa days where people can go and they can get their hair done, they can get their nails done and kind of get pampered for a little bit. There's also other aspects. There are numerous beautiful trails out here where you can walk through and you can just get a chance to truly enjoy nature. And I think the, the biggest and most important is is there is the camaraderie of the group of people that come back here every year. And there's a camaraderie of the people that have a disability that can really have an open forum to talk about it and to talk about it in a way where they don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks because we're all here to work together to try to build a better understanding for maybe the rest of the world, for our communities that we live in. And it's really, it's a place without barriers and without constrictions. Nobody here is ever, should ever feel down or low or worried about what they're going to say or what they might think or what their disability is because it doesn't matter to us over here. All that matters is the person inside. The disability is only an outer shell. It's, it's the same as everything else if you look for the person then everything else is just materialistic, essentially. So I guess that would be my basic take on what the Association of Horizon is. It is the easiest way I describe it. It's a place that if you really give it a week, you will fall in love with it. It's a, a wonderful group of people that I was lucky enough to meet 19 years ago. And it's been, for me, this is, I'm actually just completing my 19th year. And if I'm lucky enough, I hopefully have another 59 or 69 or 79 more because this is truly, to me, my favorite place in the world to go to. I would do anything to, to help these people out to ensure that camp does continue. You will be getting websites. It is www.associationofhorizon.com. I'm sure Dan and Nika will put that up on the podcast as well for you. Any donations that can be given or donated would be greatly appreciated. 
this past year, we had an influx of people and our camp costs were approximately $95,000. All of the money that we raise is all donations. We only have one paid member of our staff, which is a part-time member that helps to do upkeep on the website. Beyond that, everybody else from the board of directors to recruitment committees to anybody that runs any outing or any fundraiser, all of us do this totally on a volunteer basis because this is a place that we love and this is a place that we want to keep going. So if there's anybody out there that could give any type of donation, nothing is too small. If you can give a dollar, that's a dollar closer for us having a camp next year. And we appreciate anything anybody can do and I, especially after 19 years, I appreciate the fact that I have a forum that I can actually tell people the joys of Camp Horizon and what it's done for me. And if there's any questions, please feel free to go on the website. There are numerous contacts on there. Anybody on that website will be more than happy to give you any and all information that you need on Camp Horizon, whether it is for volunteering or donations or if it's help figuring out another, a new or better fundraiser that we could do. We, we are more than willing to take any and all suggestions that you may have. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Uh, we appreciate it and we hope to, I guess, hear from you soon. All right. Thanks, Dan. Good, Thank good you. Deal. All right. So now that you've got insight about Camp Horizon, the place that can be best defined as an absolute blast, we're going to move into our interviews. And the purpose behind this interview section was to give the people at Camp Horizon an opportunity to be a part of one of our podcast episodes. So what we did is Nico and I came up with five questions that we went around and we asked various people at Horizon about. And this was the idea to share with you the experience that other people just like you are having with watching television. And before we move into the interviews, I'd just like to thank everyone at Camp Horizon you took the time to speak with Nico and I. All of your input definitely played a huge part in making this episode possible. So give yourselves a pat on the back. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was extremely difficult to give everyone equal airtime due to the audio issues that come from recording on location and the time constraints of this podcast. But just because you might have not gotten to this episode, you still have opportunities to get on this show another time. You can get out of here by either emailing us or giving us our much-anticipated first voicemail message. Again, we haven't gotten that first voicemail message. We've mentioned it every week, and if you guys can call in, the first voice message is going to get it on the air, guaranteed, because we are looking for that so much. So again, if you did not get on this episode as much as you wanted to be, that goes for those of you who were at Horizon, feel free to contact us in the email or leave it a voicemail. Also, as a disclaimer, parts of this upcoming interview section contains a large amount of background noise. And this is intentional to give you listeners who have never been to Camp Horizon the sense that it is a consistently thriving place where people with abilities from all walk of life seriously just have a damn good time. And as for one last thing uh, before we move into the interviews and before we get started on the first question, I want to take the time for everyone at Horizon to introduce yourself. So without further ado, here are the stars of this week's interview. Hey everyone, we're here with a round table discussion group to do our survey. So we're going to go around the group and have each person introduce themselves first and then we're going to ask them the questions. 
David. My name is Zach Gatson. I'm Alex Blocker. I'm 17. I go to Lincoln Park. My name is Casey Sutton. Chris Block. I'm Dana Wesley, TV expert and slacker extraordinaire. Hi, I'm uh, Dylan Chandler. Hi, my name is Jason Bowie. I'm 24 years old. I'm from Hawthorne State, Illinois. I'm Plamen Chakov. I'm a Bulgarian guy. And I am addicted to TV for the most part. Now that you've met everyone, we're going to get things started by Nico reading the first question to all of you. And then we're going to jump into the responses that we got at Camp Horizon. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? What was the first experience that you remember having with television? How did it influence you? Did watching TV for the first time change your life in any way? I remember watching The Simpsons when I was like three or four years old. And well, I've been watching TV and The Simpsons. I just, I loved it. Like, I, I like, I don't know, I just fell in love with TV right And did it change your life in any way? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, no more than TV can. It wasn't like a. It didn't change what I wanted to do with my life. I mean, I, it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm at home, but it definitely changed it. I'd say one of the first experiences I'd remember is Power Ranger when I was really young. <laughs> And that was an awesome show. And also, I wasn't born in the States, so I was born in India, and I remember watching DuckTales. In Indian language? Or in English? Yeah, it wasn't in English. Okay. That's so cool. How did it influence you? Well, Power Rangers is awesome, so it made me awesome. Okay, yeah, that works. Alright, Dave, same question. I used to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Please won't you be my neighbor. Hey. And Sesame Street, I don't know if that really changed my life that much. It taught me to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. And read letters, I guess. The first experience I ever had with the television was watching Jerry Springer. When my mom just wanted to run off and grab a quick shower. And I don't know why she left it on that channel, but I distinctly remember the name. I've been watching it ever since. How did it influence you? It actually, I would say it influenced me to uh, explore a lot of different things, you know, for example, uh, Discovery Channel, a show like uh, Mythbusters makes me explore my like engineering side, or a show like you know, History Channel makes me read more. Did watching TV for the first time change your life in any way? I think so. I think if I didn't have TV, I think I'd read more. Like, I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I think that, um, I think TV has caused me to be more sedentary, actually, even though I like it. I know the truth about it. And what was the first experience that you had with watching the television? As far as I can remember, the first one was probably Barney, back uh, when he was teaching the ABCs. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. That's pretty much as far as I can go. 
And how did Barney the Big Purple Dinosaur influence you? <laughs> I guess it kind of opened TV up to me. It's kind of a learning experience, also an entertaining thing. So I guess it uh, developed another part of my brain that linked TV to my to myself. Watching TV for the first time did it change your life in any way? Well, I guess I just fell in love with TV. The uh, the idea of it, first of all, and also uh, the ideas that flow through it, I guess. I, I watch it daily now, so. My first experience I remember is on weekend mornings, I would go into my living room, which we call the front room, which is a totally Chicago thing, and just lay down on my carpet, and I would turn on our like huge boxy TV with my toes, and I would have to like really balance hard to get the power button, and then I would hit the input button to change it from like the video game setting back to TV, and then I would change the channel till I found Sesame Street or Xena Warrior Princess because I watched a lot of different shows as a child. I don't think my parents probably censored me correctly, but right. I turned out okay. And how did this first experience of watching TV influence you? Well, there's actually this hilarious story in my house that <laughs> my parents like to bring up to embarrass me. I had this Wonder Woman nightgown and it had a cape on it. And I really like thought I was Xena Warrior Princess when I put it on. <laughs> and I would run around my house and I would do her warrior call. It's like, ah. you know, I don't know. I can't do it right now. <laughs> but um, and then I would like get so mad at my family because I'd be like, um, you don't like Xena Warrior Princess. You're not my family. They'd be like, how do you watch this, Dana? You're so weird. Like, you don't get it. It's in like a mystical land. It was really... I can see their point today, but I ran through my house doing my warrior calls, screaming, you're not my family if you don't love Xena. So, definitely uh, made me rambunctious, I would say. All right. And did watching TV for the first time, did it change your life? Well, yeah, I'm sure it impacted my schedule schedule a ton. Uh, it's like wake up, watch TV, especially on the weekends. Um, I don't know. I guess it changed things by making your parents think. Definitely. And if, if they got to sleep in, I would just, <laughs> I wouldn't even go in their room when I woke up. I'd just go straight to the living room. <laughs> Alright, and coming back to this, the first thing I noticed from listening to all these interviews, is that everyone mentioned that their first experience with the television involved either cartoon characters, superheroes, or puppets. And I thought this was interesting that they all influenced us at a young age. And in my opinion, I think it came from the fact that they were something different than what we were seeing as our normal everyday lives as kids. We didn't have puppets that we interacted with at home. We didn't have people that had amazing abilities at home or part of our everyday lives. And I think that desire to escape also made us attracted to these types of characters when we were kids. Also, these shows were incredibly colorful and would pop out, and I think we were attracted to these in a visual sense. I think as time went on, especially with the superheroes, we became attracted to them because they were an escape from our everyday lives or something we could attach to through their personal issues. But I think at the beginning, at its core, we were attracted to these different characters because of their stark visual contrast with the rest of the world or the rest of what was on TV.
Well, Dan, you and I agree so often. We're right on target, right on the same page on this one again. I wrote down in my notes that cartoons, superheroes, and puppets, they got a lot of movement, color, and action that really catch the attention of a young child. And they also have stories that are maybe a little less complex compared to an adult drama, and thus the children and young teens can follow the story arc more easily. Also, cartoons and superhero stories draw heavily from archetypal characters that ultimately lead to a great foundation or introduction vision industry. So kids getting interested in those also kind of develops a lifelong love of this storytelling meme. And then also, for many kids, superhero cartoons get them interested in comic books, which can then influence and encourage them to read. So I have to encourage that because reading is also a great way to escape, like you were talking about just a second ago. And I love to read but I love television, too. So I think it's good when television gets kids, especially we heard Sesame Street and maybe Barney, and both of those are educational programs that help get kids to learn how to read or recognize numbers and letters. So those kind of shows are good for a future in learning and enjoyment of television. Both Barney and Sesame Street and those types of shows, they're great because they actually have reading and interaction within the show to promote those types of things such as reading or learning or things like that and using visuals and exposing them to different artistic styles. Sesame Street is a hodgepodge of puppets and animation and claymation and different types of artistic visual styles. It makes them develop and grow and be educated, not in a learning sense for school, but also in a sense to make them worldly and aware of creativity that exists in the world. Absolutely. And also the combination of animation, puppets, claymation, like you said, but also live-action hosts and, and uh, guest stars, exactly. which, which introduces them to like all different kinds of television and uh, movie styles. So that's good, too. Yeah, real quick, I have to say, one of the things that exposed me to pop culture was the music video, Put Down the Ducky that they showed on Sesame Street. <laughs> nice. Put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. So if you haven't seen that in a while and you want to check back on old ties, go check that out on YouTube. I watched it recently and it's a lot of fun to watch. All right, Nico, let's go ahead with the next question. Who are the TV characters that stuck out to you over the years? How did they influence you as a person? How do you think they influence the American people? I mean, there's a million. Like, I think Homer Simpson is a great character just because of the humor of it. But more recently, I'm more of a fan of like a Bonnie Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Coach basically taught me how to be awesome and the most important lesson I've learned in my life is when you're feeling sad, stop being sad and be awesome instead. <laughs> I'd say it's definitely Bender from Futurama. Yes. Because other people have trouble gauging his emotions. And he's a really hostile character. We are not amused. He's also a robot. I think he's pretty awesome. He's also a raging alcoholic. I guess it would be Futurama. Because he's really laid back. It's okay, we might have a problem. Like have fun, you know what's happening. Dave. The character I always liked was Hey Arnold. He was just oh my God, <laughs> a terrible show. 
Shut up, that's an awesome show. I don't know. He was always like the nicest guy and like tried to help all the other characters on the show. Even though they weren't like the nicest people always. How do you think any of those characters have influenced the American people? Well, Homer Simpson has become around the world the definition of American people. Yeah. I mean for better or worse, he does represent Americans by then. He's loud, rude, a slob, but at the same time. He's hardworking and genuine. And so, a good, you know, good, for, good father. Well, for the things that aren't exaggerated in the yeah. show. He's like, yeah, before like The Simpsons and maybe Married with Children before that, like all the shows were just like the perfect like definition of family. But these shows are like more realistic and probably funnier because of that. The Simpsons is realistic. Yeah. yeah. So how about the Futurama characters, Kishal Bobby? How they influence the American people. I feel like they more like represent the American people more than anything else. Because they're just like, I don't know, they're like loud. And some of them are like kind of lazy. And they don't really like doing anything. Fry is just like the average American. He works at a pizza place. Watches TV all day. Who are the TV characters that have stuck out to you over the years? The first thing that comes to mind is Will from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And how did he influence you as a person? Seeing as we're both from Philadelphia, well, we both were from Philadelphia. His character, I kind of related to that, and the fact that he was moving to a new place. And I said you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air, and had new experiences moving from somewhere very poor to somewhere very extravagant. How do you think Will influenced regular, average, everyday people? I think he's very influential going from music to TV to wherever else he's doing now. And I think that, I don't know, I guess he influenced other people to, you know, pursue their dreams if they're doing something separate, completely separate. Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo, nice. And um, probably the Flintstones. <laughs> How did they influence you as a person? Not really much, because I was a little kid and I was, used to say, Scooby-Doo! Where are you, Scooby-Doo? I used to sing the Scooby-Doo song over and over and over. How do you think they influenced the American people? I think Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones are like pop cultural icons. But they were like the 21st century cartoons of their time. When I first came to the U.S. from Bulgaria, I started watching Home Improvement and... Married with Children, and I gotta say, like those two shows, like are pretty much the reason I learned English. I don't know. Al's my favorite guy ever. I'm Tim the Toolman Taylor. You know my assistant, Al. Still watch every episode whenever I can, even at 5 a.m. And how did those characters influence you as a person? As a person, I'd like to say that they kind of set up like the typical American stereotypical family for me. Because apart from the people I was meeting at the time, like I didn't even know much about America, so it was good to learn from that. And how do you think those characters might have influenced like the American people or people around the world as well? Well, I don't know. I think, uh, for example, Home Improvement might have provided a functional family scenario, whereas like Mary the Children provide the exact opposite, the counter stereotype, and it was really fun to see and watch the dysfunction happen. Also, like, I think it might have influenced the creation of shows like Family Guy and stuff like that nowadays. Who are the TV characters that have stuck out to you over the years? <laughs> the one that rung in my mind when I uh, heard the question was SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I don't know why, he seems like the most memorable that I can think of. How does he influence you as a person? Just the entire show is comedic back when I was younger. I, uh, I consider myself a funny person, but I think he probably would play a role in like the silliness and things like that. 
How do you think SpongeBob influences like TV audiences in general? Probably the same way it influences me, you know, just to be silly and things like that. I think it influences the larger parts of TV viewer, probably advertising and marketing stuff like that too. Just like TV and that. The first thing after listening to these interviews is Homer Simpson was a character that was mentioned a lot as being a TV character that stuck out to people. I honestly thought Simpsons was on the way out, and I was surprised that a lot of people mentioned this. I personally watched, I would say, the first maybe five, six seasons of The Simpsons, maybe a little more than that, and I just got bored with it, and I stopped watching it. And I honestly thought that the cultural impact of Homer Simpson was kind of dead because the show just was on so long, it almost got old to me. So I was really surprised to hear this over and over again. And actually to hear it from people that were younger than I, because I really, honestly, that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Again, for me, I'm so into hour-long dramas that I would have mentioned the character from that show instead of something for a more of a comedy-related thing. But it was just interesting to me that The Simpsons are still that big of a part of American culture when I honestly think it's the show itself is on the way out. I'm actually on the other side on this one, Dan. Okay. I, I've watched all 21 seasons of The Simpsons, and... I'm still a fan. Yes, the story writing and some of the quality of the show is not what it used to be. I'm thinking of like the third, fourth, and fifth season, maybe second, third, and fourth, uh, where Conan was one of the lead writers yes. and everything like that. That's some of the best Simpsons out there, is and those I, early seasons. Yeah, and I agree with that. I loved watching those seasons. But the impact of Homer Simpson, Homer is kind of important because Homer and Al Bundy, began kind of the change from TV families and fathers being these perfect families with they can fix everything in a 30-minute episode. Danny Tanner's another example yeah. of, or is an example of what I'm talking about from our childhood. Also, Dr. Cliff Huxtable, Stephen Keaton from Family Ties, Ward Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver, Howard Cunningham from Happy Days, or Dr. Jason Seaver from Growing Pains. Those are the fathers that I grew up on. The TV dads that were loving fathers, lived at home, acted like role models, taught their kids right from wrong. Homer, not so much. Al Bundy, definitely not. (laughs) Homer, although he's a lazy father, he at least seems to love his kids and care about them. I really think the appeal with Homer was best described in Brian's response, if if you remember what he said, that it was in the humor that he brings to the show. Not that he's a role model, but that he's a funny character. Now, Peter Griffin definitely fits that same mold in the funny, but the problem with Family Guy and The Simpsons to a little extent is that I watch both of these shows and love them. They're really meant for adults, and the cartoon kind of hides the fact that they're truly satirical in nature. And South Park is another great example of this, that they're not designed for kids, but because they're cartoons, kids want to watch them. And unfortunately, that is one of the negative impacts that Homer and The Simpsons, Family Guy, South Park have had on America, is that we have these kids who watch these wildly inappropriate for their age shows, but they think they're appropriate, and sometimes parents don't pay enough attention because it is a cartoon. I know my mom forbid me from watching The Simpsons when I was a kid. Yeah, same with me. For the first five years, I had to watch it in a clandestine manner. But my dad and I started watching it together. 
he realized that I was old enough to watch it by the time he and I were watching it, about 12 years old or so. And it became a, a family regular staple in our TV watching. And my mom couldn't stand it. She couldn't understand it. But my dad saw it. Then in high school, we started seeing whenever they would parody something in literature, we'd actually watch the Simpsons episode. So it does have its place. Young kids probably are getting sucked in too early. Now, do you think it plays a part in the sense that it's been around so long? That, I mean, The Simpsons have been around almost my entire life. Do you think the yeah, fact absolutely. that we've grown up with it and it's always been there, do you think that's a factor? It is, for many, Homer Simpson is that TV dad I was talking about, for better or for worse. Also, the rest of the TV culture has kind of gone away from those family television shows like The Full Houses, The Growing Pains, even older Happy Days and uh, Leave It to Beaver, Family Ties, or The Cosby Show. None of those shows, those type of shows, are necessarily still on television. TV has kind of gone a little more gritty, if you want, mm. if you if you want to say. And The Simpsons, I think, created that world. It definitely played a part. I don't know if it necessarily is the primary catalyst, or if it was just playing its part in that transformation. That either way, in that argument, I think that defines it. The best, I think, the deal with me was I just haven't watched it in so long. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, I went and saw the movie, but I haven't watched it in so long that I think I kind of forgot the cultural significance of it. But, again, I just, I don't know, I I don't feel that that is there with the show anymore. I think a lot of that came from looking upon fond memories, which I do, too. There's a lot of shows that I enjoyed as a kid that maybe aren't so great now or aren't so good, but because I had that great experience at a younger age, I still enjoy them. I still like watching them. Yeah. And the other part of this discussion we had was we had a lot of people describe how these families, and Married with Children was actually used as an example, so were the Simpsons, about showing how these shows represent America. And we had people actually who came here from out of the country or actually came to Illinois where we were recording from another place and talk about how a TV show kind of helped them define what the American culture was like or what the culture was like when you moved to a new place. One of the characters that was mentioned, we had Will from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Zach, who did that interview, talked about how he moved from Philadelphia to a better place, very much in the similar way that Will moved from Philadelphia to a better place on that show. And that connection helped him deal with that. We also had Plavid, who is a Bulgarian guy, as he said, and he came over from Bulgaria. And watching TV helped him learn about America and what the culture was like. And there was the same connection, Kashal, I think, mentioned it, that he watched DuckTales in the language that he's from, from India. And that got him connected with the American culture. So it's interesting how TV is a big part of defining what America is to a lot of people or how they should react socially in our country. And I thought that was interesting that people made that connection personally. It was just, it was a really kind of neat and interesting thing to hear about. Yeah, it was interesting to hear all of them say that, but the difference I see is that they came to America after seeing that and kind of saw what America was really like. Okay. And unfortunately, TV is one of the primary means for the rest of the world to have access to U.S. culture. Right. And thus, this current reality nightmare that is sweeping the country uh. and the satirical, oafish Peter Griffin and Homer Simpson characters 
and the Snookies, Bachelors, Bachelorettes, and other reality wannabes are becoming unofficial ambassadors of the U.S. And that is what we are portraying to the rest of the world as our culture, which is not necessarily always the case. This could explain a lot of the hostility around the globe for U.S. citizens. Also, if you look at the way that our own media, I say consistently badmouth the U.S. to the world, or kind of show all of our flaws without really putting out there a lot of the great things that make America the best country in the world, the place that I want to be, makes me want to serve in the military, great love of my country. And sometimes when I watch television, I laugh like crazy and I love it and everything. But then I look and think, this is what we're sending out to the rest of the world as what it means to be Americans. So sometimes there's a disconnect between real life and what we show on television. And it was interesting to hear kind of, Kashal's take with watching DuckTales in Hindi, Plamen watching a lot of television and learning English from watching shows. And I really liked Zach's because moving from a rough area in Philly to a nicer area in Illinois and his transition, that was kind of cool that he could relate with Will Smith's character. And that's my experience with TV is, is, is relating with other people and finding that character that I associate with him each TV show, and that really draws me into the show. So that was interesting to see. Yeah, and the thing is with Hobbit and then Kashal with DuckTales, they did not feel like it was giving a negative image of America to them when they were watching it or they were exposed with it. And Plowman, again, did mention Home Improvement as an example. Which is a great show. I forgot to leave that in as one of the great TV dads of my youth. Yes, he is a great TV dad. But, again, that show, yes, maybe it wasn't real reality or whatever, but that show did try to cover some positive messages and did kind of show America in a more, I think, well-thought-out light, much different than the reality shows that are on today. A lot of that stuff is just trash. But I think that if there's writing and there's creativity that goes behind it and with The Simpsons, the satirical stuff, I mean, that's not easy to come up with. It's challenging. And the fact that they did that still show that there's incredibly smart people in America and they're not dumb oafs like Homer, even though we were entertained by him. Absolutely. The problem with some of those shows is that we write them as a satire and here in America we understand them as a satire, but other cultures don't necessarily catch the making fun of ourselves aspect of that and, and think this is what we're portraying upon the world as our culture. So the the satire gets lost in the translation. And that's true. But there are also positive figures as well. I mean, Will Smith is a great example of a positive celebrity figure with all of his programming um, within the United States. And I also think I read somewhere that he is the most accepted actor by world audiences. Huh, interesting. I think that was Entertainment Weekly. Don't quote me on that. So there are positives and there's negative characters. And... When I get into explaining later on what I've learned from TV, I'll go into that a little bit more in depth. Sounds good. So without further ado, let's move on to the third question. I want to do bad things with you. What are the TV shows that you're watching currently? How do they influence you as a person? And why do you make the effort to watch them every week or when they are released on DVD? True Blood on HBO. Entourage. And I used to like train up and stuff, but... Not on anymore. So you're primarily watching HBO. It's HBO. Show. 
do you watch them every week or do you watch them wait till they come on that DVD to watch them? Every week. Why do you make an effort to watch them? Interest. The storyline is very cool. Okay, so you like all the storylines of the yeah. show as they go on? And I would assume with you watching Odds of Roger looking for the humor as well. Yeah. Is it hard for you to wait every week to wait for the next episode? No, because it's usually on like on HBO's on like on two or three times a week, so if I miss it, I can always now do you watch the episode multiple times during the week? Sometimes. I watch Entourage, The Office and uh Top Park. How did they influence you as a person? Well Entourage has taught me to be myself and be real and the office of South Park has uh, influenced me comically to be a more funny person I guess. And why do you make an effort to watch those shows? I like pretty much every aspect of them the way they're directed the way the acting is the way it's funny I mean they're all pretty funny Currently I definitely have hopped on the vampire bandwagon I'm really into it but I have to defend myself a little bit. I did watch Buffy while she was on the air originally. So, I'm not a total noob, but I watched The Vampire Diaries and True Blood. I really, those two I love. Um, I don't know, I Hulu a lot of stuff. ABC Family, Pretty Little Liars. I like that one a lot. How do they influence you as a person? And why do you make an effort to watch them every week? They're really relevant because everywhere you go today, there's vampires, everybody's talking about it. The Twilight books, the movies. Uh, you kind of have to be fluent in vampire knowledge these days just to interact socially. What are the TV shows you're watching currently? Uh, I'm watching a whole lot. The Closer, In Plain Sight, Mad Men, Community. And The Office. Now, why do you make an effort to watch them every week or when they're releasing the game? They kind of leave you hanging, I guess. It's something I want to watch. I want to see more of it. So, I think they're just addicting, addicting shows. Currently I'm watching One Tree Hill and I'm watching So You Think You Can Dance and American Idol. And why do you make an effort to watch them every week? Because American Idol and So You Think You Can Dance, I love music and I love music and theater. Those two shows bring those combinations together. I mean I watch a ton of shows but right now I'm watching Dexter. which is like the greatest show on television. And I keep watching it because the stories are so good and the characters are just delightfully twisted and interesting. Delightful. And another show, I guess would be True Blood, because it's, it's, I mean people say it's a girly show, but it's definitely not because it's just ma massively entertaining. It's just violence and sex and somehow amazingly interesting characters. After getting back home and, and listening to these interviews that we took at Horizon, the big show that was mentioned a lot of times was True Blood. And this really speaks to the vampire craze that's going on, not just with television in the form of the highly successful Vampire Diaries and the successful show on HBO True Blood. It also has to do with the movies, with the whole Twilight craze, which you either love or you hate or impartial to. 
But this vampire craze is huge. It's a big thing. It's still going on. They're almost as big as superheroes now. And I like it in some forms, and others I don't. I personally do watch The Vampire Diaries. I enjoy it. I think there's great characters on the show. I really like the character of David. He's really fun to watch. True Blood, I have not got around to watching. Now that so many people have mentioned that they watched it, I may want to check it out. And the Twilight thing kind of makes me want to throw up. Um, <laughs> I don't like the portrayal of the female character in that storyline. She seems kind of weak, like a damsel in distress. And through reading comic books and being a big fan of Buffy, I don't like weak female heroines. I need some tough, strong, that aren't going to get messed with in a dark alley kind of female characters, very similar to Katara and Avatar, which we've talked about on the show in great detail, and Buffy and things like that. I just I can't take the wimpy damsel of distress lead character, and that really comes from my superhero background. And Nico, I know you've got some really hardcore opinions on the whole vampire craze. I think you want to kind of get up on your soapbox about this. So why don't you take it away and share with everyone kind of your thoughts on all this? Sure. I was happy to hear some of our listeners and fans from Camp Horizon say that they watched some vampire stuff with True Blood. But besides Dana, every female we talked to at camp, not on the recordings because Dana was our only female guest, yeah. but they were crazed with the new vampire shows, specifically the Twilight series in the movies and the Vampire Diaries or something yes. like that. And they had little or no knowledge of the vampires that came before. I mean, how can you be a vampire or a fan of the vampire genre and not know Bram Stoker, who he is, or the origins of the Dracula story? I mean, come on. This really frustrates me, and as you can probably tell from my tone. Now, I was never a fan of the monsters or any of the gimmicky early vampires on television. I am Dracula. But at least... I'm aware of them. I've read Bram Stoker's Dracula. I loved it. I've seen some old films, including Nosferatu, which was great. Interview with a vampire from the, the 80s and 90s. Like Dana, I watched Buffy and Angel when they were on TV. Well, for Angel, I have to make a little bit of a, a confession. I only watched it hodgepodge, but I watched the entire series a few years back, and, and my sister's and her boyfriend are doing the same thing now because they were huge Buffy fans, and Shannon and I watched Buffy as teenagers together. So this lack of knowledge of what came before really frustrates me with the current Twilight fans. There is a very rich history of vampire and lichen lore that these films and books don't recognize, nor do they appreciate the fans of that lore. The current fans could care less about anything that came before Twilight. Their beloved vampire story, and it is the end-all, be-all of vampires. That's crap. Come on. I recently watched these three films, and I find them to be atrocious. Complete waste of my time. But at least I watched them to have an opinion on them. It's not that I am a fan of all this other vampire stuff out there, and I won't even give them a try. I tried, I watched all three with a friend of mine, and I couldn't stand it. Now, can I ask you, I haven't seen the movies, I do know a lot about the books, and I've talked to people in great detail about the books. Do you find the Bella Swan character a weak female heroine? In the first film, because I, I didn't read the books, I only yeah. watched the film, absolutely. No, the second film. Yeah. Whichever one that Edward breaks it off with her so he won't hurt her, I think that was the second one, and he goes off and hides, and she spends like five months sitting in a chair 
crying at night and everything like that. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Come on. It's teenage love. Yes, it's powerful, and yes, it's first love, but come on. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Buffy got and, over it in three episodes. Yeah, I mean, Buffy was in love. The result of that love was that her love became a soulless vampire who tried to kill her <laughs> three episodes. <laughs> Come yeah, on! That's a lot to handle. So, no, just the new fans of the Twilight series, and to a lesser extent, the Vampire Diary fans, they just think that this is a new thing created just for them. That vampires are these sexy creatures that glisten in sunlight? Come on, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I'd also recommend for those of you who do have an interest in vampires and only know the Twilight background and, and want to learn more, go ahead, check out some of the old Dracula movies. They're a lot of fun, kind of corny, but you'll get a good laugh out of them. Also, you know, I'd recommend checking out Supernatural. They've dealt with vampires the most accurately out of any show on television, in my opinion. Go check that out. And the other movie I would check out is Underworld. It's the same type of love story, but you've got a stronger female heroine. They really respect kind of the lore of vampires and lichens of the first one. And I would say go check that out. I also want to say that I consider True Blood fans to be of a higher caliber vampire fan. Because HBO has great quality programming. Well, I have nothing against the True Blood series. I watched the first season of it, and the only reason I didn't move on to the second and third season was because it is not appropriate to watch at work, which was where I was yeah. watching a lot of my television at the time that was not currently on television. I would catch an episode during lunch. But there's graphic violence and nudity, which... you can't watch at work during your lunch hour. I have not found the time to jump into season two or three. I definitely think that it is a series worth watching. Don't get me wrong, because I was bashing Twilight, I don't think True Blood is in that same vein. And I didn't think you were, Nico. I just wanted to convey to our listeners out there, especially Chris, who did an interview with us and listens to the show regularly. Absolutely. I just want to give you guys kudos on watching that show, because that's solid programming. Continuing with the solid HBO programming, a show that was mentioned a lot in our interviews, and I don't know how much it got captured during our little segment, but Entourage was mentioned a lot of times as a show that a lot of people at camp were watching. And I noticed that this show is becoming bigger and bigger to the point that it's actually going to go into syndication. It's already started on Spike, and it's going to go into syndication on actually WGN, which is a big, if you don't have cable, you still have that network. So it's interesting that those people are getting exposed to it. And another show that's getting brought in is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Which I know wasn't mentioned all that much at Camp Horizon, but it is a very popular show as well. So I think it's interesting that that quality of HBO programming has started to show a blip on people's radar and honestly can almost give the regular primetime shows a run for their money on the big networks. Cable television has improved vastly in the last five years and has become some of the best and most interesting shows on television. Yeah. The Sopranos really led the charge here, and shows like Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Rescue Me, Always Sunny, Nip Tuck, The Shield, these really exploded the cable market over the past five years, maybe six or seven on the, for some of the starting of it, but really the cable market has become a viable market for new shows. And Dan and I watch a number of cable series, White Collar, Psych, 
Sons of Anarchy are just a few of those that we watch. And that's not even counting any of the stuff on sci-fi. Warehouse 13, Eureka, there's a new show, Haven. I've watched a couple episodes. It's decent. Probably not going to stay in my lineup, but decent. Yeah. So the cable market has exploded, like I said, over the last couple years. And really, there are some great shows on cable now. But I just want to say that at first, cable television back when I was first exposed or heard about it was like The Sopranos. It was that edgy television that broke all the rules that you couldn't follow on regular network television and things like that. And now on the cable network, there's a pretty big variety of stuff to watch. There's really outrageous comedy in terms of Curb Your Enthusiasm and Always Sunny. Then there's police dramas with The Shield and, and The Rescue Me. I know it's about firemen. Same kind of deal. Sons of Anarchy is kind of a, a Sopranos-like thing. There's just a whole bunch of different stuff you can watch. And even within like a niche market channel, such as Sci-Fi Channel, they have shows on that network that are vastly different from each other. Warehouse 13 is kind of a different thing from Eureka. And then Sanctuary, when that comes back, that's a different thing from that show. I mean, they have different genres of sci-fi within their network. And I think it's just interesting that there's such a big variety on cable television. And if you haven't branched out of the regular network shows, go ahead and check some of these shows out that we mentioned in this episode. Or just randomly look at your TV guy and see what's on a cable network and give it a try because you're going to be pleasantly surprised at how great these shows are. Yeah, and a lot of those shows are available on DVD. You can get them from your local Blockbuster, Netflix. Go out and start from the beginning or watch an episode on television if you like it. Jump back to the beginning and see it from the beginning on some DVDs. Netflix is not a sponsor of this show, but I'm a member, Dan's a member. We watch a lot of stuff on Netflix, so it's one of the ways that we catch up. But go and rent the DVDs because there's some excellent TV out there. Yeah, and also if any of you out there want a suggestion, feel free to email us or get a hold of us through the Twitter or the website, and we'll give you our opinions on what things you should check out. Absolutely. All right, Nico, let's go on to the next question. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. What was the most historically significant event you remember watching on TV? Where were you when you watched it? Who was the news anchor that covered the event? And did the way they convey what was going on with the event impact the way in which you watched it? How did the event change the way you view the world? Do you think the media covered the event in a bad way? What was the most historically significant event you remember watching on TV? That would probably be 9-11. We don't fully know the details. There is one report, as of yet unconfirmed, that a plane has hit of the World Trade Center. I remember waking up in the morning because I had school, and I remember seeing the image of a plane crashing on TV. And at the time, I was still half asleep, so I didn't, I didn't think I was seeing the news. I was seeing a movie or something. And then I saw the news anchors, and I realized it was actually happening. Do you by any chance remember who the news anchor uh, was that was covering the event? I want to say I was watching uh, Channel 9 with Robin Robinson. The way they conveyed the event, did that impact you in any way? Yeah, it did, because I remember that there was a lot of emotion in her face. It was a tragic event, and anybody, whether on the scene or off the scene, was just traumatic about it. it was How did the event change the way you viewed the world? The event changed a lot of things for me, because starting with that, there was a lot of media coverage, and 
people's opinions towards certain groups are changing radically based on media coverage and based on the event itself. And it was a great dramatic event for the entire nation. Did you think that media covered the event in a good way or a bad way? I think the media covered the event in the best possible way for the nation. I'm not sure whether it was accurate at the time. There's been a lot of recaps about it. But regardless, I think it was very important to have media coverage of this because it was such an important thing on to the nation. What was the most historically significant event you remember watching on TV? Oh, definitely September 11th. I think I was in like fourth grade. I got picked up from school from my friend's dad, family friend. We went over to their house and I was definitely just too confused to like understand. He had the news on while we were there and he was telling us how he saw the second tower get hit live and I thought that meant he looked out his window and saw that it got hit and uh, yeah, that definitely sticks out. Did the way they conveyed the event impact you in any way in terms of the news people? Did that impact you? For sure. I remember finally getting picked up by my mom and going to our house and just every single channel was news coverage of New York City. And my sister Renee was actually in DC at that time, so my mom was going crazy. One plane over to the Pentagon. And so it was, um, I don't know, I think it's really important to cover events like this, but. It was so much coverage that I think it caused even more chaos and like concern. With people, but I don't know. And did it change the way you viewed the world at all? It did. It did. Because I was still really young. We were in school and we like went downstairs and all the lunch ladies were crying and watching their little TV in the kitchen and we were like, what's going on? Still didn't really get anything. It was definitely a, a big step in growing up because my mom was so worried about my sister and like all the phones were down and everything was hectic and I realized this is something serious but I don't think I got it to the full extent just then. Do you think the media, did they covered it in a, in a good way or a bad way? It's really tough to say, you know, it's really important to cover these things and it's great that the news makes it so easy that someone like me from Chicago can find out so fast about some things like in New York, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. And I don't know, it was too much coverage, but it's a fine line, I think between too much coverage and getting the message out. The first one that popped in my head was uh, the seriousness of 9-11. I came home when third grade and my mom was sitting on the couch just watching the TV as it recorded uh, or just played over the plane crashing into the Twin Towers. Where were you when you watched it? I was at home. First we were at school, but then something felt weird and then came back and then I was just sitting on the couch with my mom. Who was the news anchor that covered the event? I don't recall the anchor, but I remember that every time we changed the channel, the same news was being played over again. Did kind of what was going on with the event impact you? Yeah, it was way? just, it just kind of shocked me. I was into my own world thinking things were all good in the world, and then I saw this and things changed, reality came on me. And so it changed the way you viewed the world? Yes. Yeah. I. You know, I, I used to think of it as just kind of like a 
you know, happy-go-lucky thing, nothing bad would happen. I was young, I was naive, third yeah. grade, you know. But this kind of shocked me into reality. Do you think the media covered the event in a good way or a bad way? I don't know how you could cover that event in a good or bad way. I don't necessarily know how you could display that. I don't know the correct way to do that, but in a way, it's kind of bad. It kind of shocked me and scared me at that point. People needed to know what was happening. Gosh, the most historic event. You know, honestly, I think it has to be something done by David Blaine. The following program contains highly dangerous stunts and performances for which David Blaine has been trained professionally. Do not attempt to imitate. Four or five tricks he's done, most specifically the one where he stood in the middle in a pole underneath the cardboard boxes and did like a dive. He stood there for like 24 hours and then dived off. This is Vertigo. The way that they covered the event, did it impact you in any way? Him doing that, being underneath the boxes and things like that? What impacted me the most was the fact that he had, he has like, like the stamina to stand on a pole on one foot for like a day, not going to the bathroom, not eating, like, the way that it was shot, I guess only heightened the drama and showing the different angles or showing the crowd staring in awe at, you know, the spectacle that they think is going to take place. And do you think, like, the media, do you think they covered it in a good way or a bad way? I think they covered it in a good way only because no one except Blaine could have stood to get hurt from that, you know? I think the media covers things in a bad way when they're exploiting, you know, animals. You know, they're exploiting people who don't really, like, like celebrities who, who just want people out of their business. That's when I think they cover something in a bad way. I don't want to get hurt from David Blaine jumping off uh, Paul because he's magic, obviously. I remember the alien Gonzalez thing that went on forever. During a pre-dawn raid, federal agents in Miami seize Elian Gonzalez from his relative's home. I remember watching the Hurricane Katrina stuff because it was just like bad event, like tragedy after tragedy. Like that's all that was on the news, so just remember watching that. The heavy rain, the strong winds of Hurricane Katrina. Next, the aftermath, and an entire region that knows Katrina's wrath. Now Katrina churn, a Category 5 hurricane over the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish I had better news for you, but we are facing a storm uh, that most of us have feared. And those who are next in line, preparing for the worst, while hoping for the best. I guess it just slightly like changed the immigration laws. <laughs> I feel like it went on for way too long. Coming back into things after that montage of question responses, the big thing that was mentioned a lot of times, and I know for time purposes, I kind of cut down on the number of times it was mentioned, but in most of our interviews, I'd say there were about one or two that didn't bring it up. September 11th was the big historical event that people mentioned. And I know we've not really gone into news events into much detail on this show. I find news events kind of something that's dreary and I like this show being positive and upbeat but I thought that we could ask this question to kind of just let you guys know that there are things going on in the world and that we're aware of it and that there is a whole set of people that are working on television to bring in this news and cover these informations and we thought we'd just take the time with this question just to kind of give respect to those great news anchors and people out there who have covered these tragic events and seen a lot of horrifying things to give the public knowledge and information through the television. And this repeated mentioning of September 11th, in my opinion, I think it came from just it being shown on TV over and over and over again. 
And that repeated imaging, it really impacts people and hits them hard. The same thing, there's a lot of scholarly articles written about the JFK assassination, that the repeated showing of that almost kind of burned it within people's brains, that it was this constant scar that's in their brain because it was shown so many times to them. And with that, I was wondering if we talked to people from an older generation, the people at Horizon are mainly teenagers or then their 20s, but I was wondering if we talked to somebody within their 30s or maybe 40s, if they would have said JFK instead of September 11th. I don't know about 30s or 40s, but absolutely the generation of our parents, more okay. in the late 40s to early 60s, would absolutely have said JFK. September 11th is our generation's JFK, or rather our Pearl Harbor, if you think about it. Okay. The sneak attack on Pearl Harbor is what drew the U.S. into World War II, and for our generation... September 11th was the catalyst that drew us into the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. For better or worse, September 11th is this generation's battle cry. And do you think, I mean, that's why the repeated mentioning happened? Because I knew even oh, before absolutely. we... Oh, okay. absolutely. I know going into this, you were going to say that a lot of people mentioned that. So is that kind of the reason why you thought that? You couldn't escape the 9-11 coverage on television. I was a sophomore in college the day of the attack, and I was awoken from sleep by a phone call from my mother, and I woke up, I went down the ladder, grabbed the phone, and she said, turn on your television right now. And I was like, okay. And so I clicked it on, and I said, what channel? And she said, it doesn't matter. So I turned it on, it was on NBC, I think, and there was one tower burning. And then all, they were talking about an attack or something like that. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was live or if it was on a tape delay or whatever, but I saw a second plane hit the second tower. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just hit. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, Scott, wake up. Scott was my roommate. And Dude, I don't have to be in class for another hour. And I'm like, wake up, you got to see this. He's like, what, man? And calms down, he's like, oh, my God. And then within probably 35 minutes of the news broadcasting, the little orange dot on our phone started blinking, meaning that the university had released a message. So we all listened to our voice messages, and it said that classes had been canceled for the day and that a mass would be said at noon for the entire college out on the uh, south quad and they started setting up a makeshift altar for us that's what happens at a catholic university oh, yeah. they say mass for all those who died and for all those who still don't know where their loved ones were and then between about 10 in the morning to noon and then all afternoon i don't think there was a single person who wasn't glued to cnn or nbc news or one of the news outlets in our dorm and the people who had satellite television, because our dorms weren't wired for cable at that time, so a lot of us went out and bought satellite dishes and set them up in the courtyard. We were sitting there and inviting people into our room, and it was really a communal experience of watching this. And it was almost like you couldn't tear your eyes away from it. But every night, the news broadcast was the same thing. Attack on America, a special edition of NBC Nightly News. Terrorists declare war on the United States, hijacking jetliners, crashing them into New York's World Trade Towers. Another airliner into the Pentagon, threatening the seat of national power. Thousands likely dead. Downtown New York in chaos. America wondering, 
what next? More information about 9-11. It almost got to be to the point where a lot of people criticized George Bush for coming on television and saying, go out and spend money, go out and, and shop, go out and do that stuff. Because he said it poorly, but what he was saying was, you need to go out and start living your life again. You can't sit in front of the TV watching the news all day, every day. The resolve of our great nation is being tested. But make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. And, and that was the experience that a lot of people of our age group, me being a couple of years older than you, but you probably had a similar experience. That's why it was ingrained in our brain was that it was such a media blitz, such an overload of information that everybody nine, ten years later, we're coming up on the tenth anniversary of it next year, and everybody knows where they were. And that's why, exactly like you said for JFK, my dad can tell you exactly where he was when JFK, when he heard the news that JFK had been shot. Yeah. And for us... It definitely is on the same path. And again, that media blitz, you could say it was a negative thing, but also at the same time you could say it's a positive thing. And the fact that through news reports, people were kind of figuring out where people were and what was going on. Because if you didn't have that news coverage, yeah, definitely. there would have been mass panic. Thankfully to that news coverage, I mean, I don't know if this is horrible to say, but because we had that, we knew how bad things were. You know. No, I think you're right on that. In the sense that, like, yes, it was bad, but at least we knew enough that the whole country wasn't getting invaded or something more extreme. You know, the planes hit these buildings. That's all that happened. Thankfully, the people at the Pentagon were all right. If they just said, if all you had was radio or no visual representation, and all you said was a plane hit the Pentagon, people would freak out. But thankfully, you know, they had the news yeah. and said it wasn't as bad of a situation. Things are okay. And also, I think it was good in a sense that those people that brought that one plane down, they caused the terrorists to crash the plane. That right. They were remembered, and they got tribute as heroes. And it's terrible that they died and they passed away, but I don't think their story would have ever gotten out if we never, if we didn't have the mass communication that we have today. Yeah, I can agree with that. And then we had the complete other extreme with historical events through our interviewer Alex mentioning David Blade as an example, that his many tricks or... Would you call them magic tricks, Nico? <laughs> That's tough to say. They're more stunts than tricks in my book, but his build is a magician. Well, his stunts that he showed on TV, which you've probably all seen commercials for, I think they mostly show them on ABC, where he, like, buries himself under cardboard boxes or freezes himself alive. That was something that caught Alex's attention. And I think, really, honestly, in my opinion, I can't speak for Alex, and Alex may, after listening to this podcast, come out and say what he was thinking when he brought this up. But I feel like that Alex got hit by the media blitz that came with those events. Because I remember, one, there was billboards for it. It was all over. I mean, he, you just got bombarded. And I think that happened with Alex with the, the David Blaine events. Also, Alex, in talking to him, he has a deep interest in superheroes and people that can do things. Well, I mean, really, in his final answer, the last question we asked him, he was saying how TV taught people that anything was possible. And I think that David Blaine really applies to that because, yes, there may be magic tricks or illusions or whatever you want to call them, but it's still it's doing the impossible. And with Alex's interest in superheroes and Alex's interest in just anything's possible... It is firm belief in that. I think that's why 
he was attracted to this David Blaine and wanted to use him as an example. And I also have to give him credit in the sense that maybe September 11th did come to Alex's mind, but he thought of a more uh, positive event. He wanted to think of something that created a sense of wonder than a sense of tragedy. And that may prove that he's just a really positive person. But that's totally cool, too. I almost laughed when he said it until I realized he was serious. Because everyone else had said September 11th, or most of the people that we had talked to had said September 11th. I was caught by surprise when he said David Blaine. But I kind of realized later that I had forgot that for many, nine years ago, they were sometimes too young to understand or realize the magnitude of the attacks on September 11th. Right. So I think Alex is 16. Nine years ago, what was he doing? He probably didn't have the same exposure to that. His parents maybe held him away from that or whatever the case might have been. A seven-year-old probably doesn't have the same experience as a 20-year-old. So I can understand it not being as forthright in his mind as it was for you or myself. That's an interesting statement. And I want to thank Alex for actually giving me this comment because... It gave us something interesting to talk about with this topic that was unexpected. Nico and I thought we were going to spend a lot of this talking about September 11th, which we uh-huh. did, and that was fine, but it was kind of neat to have this uh, little twist added to the interview. And other events we had mentioned, we had the whole Julian Gonzalez situation, if you remember that. It was a boy that came over from Cuba illegally, and the military went in and seized the kid and sent him back to Cuba, I think. We also had Hurricane Katrina which I think is pretty self-explanatory. We also had a reference to the O.J. Simpson car chase with his Bronco. Well, truth really is stranger than fiction. A very bizarre Friday. We'll get to all the ball games, but first we start with O.J. Simpson. Yeah, the man who made a career of eluding would-be tacklers ran from the law on Friday only to be taken down in his own home. Which was a big TV event I personally remember. And also we had a mentioning of the Obama inauguration. And the thing with this, it was interesting these people said these things because at least three out of the four, they actually were related to who that person was and their personality. I understood from who they are why they would say those events. And again, some of the reasoning is pretty personal to these people, so I'm not going to go into it on the air why they connect to each event specifically. But I just thought it was interesting that they said those comments because it totally fits the type of people that they are. As each individual said, you know, Hurricane Katrina, I was like, yeah, I I can remember where I was at and what I was doing, and I uh, watched the coverage. And O.J. Simpson is kind of, I was in eighth grade when the trial occurred, so probably seventh, sixth or seventh when the white Bronco chase occurred. So I remembered those kind of things. And as each person said the thing, and I thought about it, it was fun for me to think about what I was doing during that time or what impact it had. So I enjoyed those other responses than 9-11, because as you said previously, we were really expecting a lot of people to say September 11th as their most historically significant impact story on television. So it was nice to see some people think of other things, and those definitely were huge news stories each and every one of them taking up months of TV time. So I I enjoyed those answers as well. Also, it was weird when they mentioned these events. I actually had a TV news image appear in my head when I saw these events mentioned, which was interesting as well. And the mentioning of Obama inauguration was kind of cool because I was actually there with Zach 
when that event happened. So okay. that was kind of cool that an event was brought up that I was physically at. I lived down in Chicago in an apartment about two blocks away from where the Obama inauguration was going on. And you could hear about the windows. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one, that while we breathe we hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Oh, you mean the celebration? Yeah, the celebration uh, in Chicago. That's yeah, an exact uh, reference to, yeah, uh, yeah. just in case anyone was confused. But it was really cool because you could open the window and hear his voice. And I mean, I'm not saying I was for Obama or Kane or not. It was just kind of cool to see this event going on and hear, like, the president at the time's voice coming out the window. I don't care who the president is. It's kind of cool when you open your window and you could hear him talking. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, uh, we're going to move on to the next question. You want to take it away with the next question? Sure. I invite each of you to sit down in front of your own television set when your station goes on the air. I can assure you that what you will observe is a vast wasteland. What have you learned from historically significant events and other programming featured on TV? Did this knowledge make you a stronger or weaker person? What I learned from last year's I really learned how to do things quickly and with minimal effort <laughs> because I, like especially during the school year, I schedule my nights around TV programs I want to watch. So I'm like, I have this hour block where I definitely cannot do any homework. I have to see this show and <laughs> gets me gets me to plan ahead a little more. <laughs> It's easier now, though, with, like, Hulu and the internet. Yeah. What have you learned from just watching TV in general? Through the balance of uh, comedic shows and things like that, I just learned to laugh at myself and be easy in life and just have minimal worries and things like that. It's always good to laugh. Yeah, I learned a lot of things. Just to be more open and, you know, understanding of other people and what they have to say or their culture or anything like that. I learned to be myself. I know when certain situations are funny and not funny, you know. I don't know, I like television. I'm not really sure what I've learned, uh, apart from that people are very influenced by TV. It's probably the most radical form of media we have. A single show or a single news showing could affect the entire nation or the way people view a certain situation. Perspectives are very important. And, and this knowledge make you a stronger or weaker person? I would say a stronger person because if you take everything with a grain of salt, you can really learn a lot about perspective and everything else. Alright, well thank you very much, Bob. Good interview. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks for having me. No problem. Interview. What, what have you learned from watching television? I learned that, uh, and this may sound cheesy, but I learned that anything is possible because I think anything that I could ever dream of, I've seen on TV. And, uh, I think it's kind of taught me that things that may seem impossible can be done, even if they're in a cartoon, even if you have to tweak some things about it. And I think TV keeps my mind open in a way. All right, with our discussions that we did, or the interview questions, I kind of combined answers that had a pattern to them that connected to be able to create our discussion topics. And this one, since it was such an opinionated question, it was hard to find a pattern or a connection between all the responses we got. So I thought it would just be easier for us and also to help you guys that have been listening to us for eight episodes. 
kind of get a chance to get to know us a little bit better. I mean, I feel like after eight episodes, you guys know us pretty well. But we thought we'd give you an insight on what we had learned from TV. So I'm going to start out. I'm going to give my little spiel or speech about what I've learned, and then we'll move on to Nico. So what I've learned is that TV has played a huge part in molding and shaping who the people of my generation and potentially other generations are today based on us growing up in front of it. For me, being exposed to superheroes on television made me who I am, but for other people, it might be watching an athlete or taking an interest in the Discovery Channel. These are the good ways that I think TV can mold personalities, but there are negative ways, such as what we mentioned before, which are watching reality TV shows. In my opinion, I feel like reality television shows seem to make their viewers almost develop superficial personalities. And this kind of applies to shows like Jersey Shore, which is not necessarily a reality show, and maybe the other dating shows that are out there, and maybe a lot of stuff that's shown on like MTV and things like that. Real World was kind of interesting at the beginning, but I think later on it just made people really superficial. And I see that come out of a lot of people who are hardcore watchers of reality shows. But with all that being said, I became a writer and I started this podcast to help TV develop people's personalities in a positive way. By either telling stories or, in the case of this podcast, drawing the attention of you podcast listeners towards the story that inspire people or at least spark your imagination in an intellectual kind of way. And that kind of goes behind the shows that we've chosen to talk about on this show is that we like them, I like them personally because they inspire me and spark your imagination. And so that's what went behind choosing a lot of the shows we talk about because of that's going on and also with the intention of trying to help TV develop people's personalities in a positive way. So anyway, Atanika, what have you learned from TV? Television has definitely helped develop my sense of humor. I've always been drawn to comedies on television. And so through watching that, I've discovered what makes me laugh and what makes other people laugh and kind of helps me when I'm trying to be funny in a social setting. I've also refined my tastes of genres and story types that I enjoy. Sometimes I've been exposed to literature through television because I see an interpretation of it on television, enjoyed the television show or the TV movie or sometimes a film, and get drawn to the actual source material and want to go read the original. Because as we all know, a lot of times the book is better than the movie. So a lot of times it's broadened my educational interest as well. Also, I like to joke that Disney gave me an unrealistic idea about love. There's even a Facebook group to that name, and I joined it. But in truth, I think TV gives me hope. Hope that everyone will find love, that if you work hard enough, things will work out, and that dreams really can come true. It's kind of sappy, but that's kind of the way television makes me feel. Like, you see people achieving their dreams or at least going for their dreams in a TV show, and it inspires you to follow your dream. But mostly, TV has taught me that the nerdy geek that likes Mm -hmm. Star Wars, comic books, and watches way too much television can still be cool, even if it's in a different way than the other jocks I used to play multiple sports with. (laughs) Now, I use TV as an escape mechanism, as I think a lot of people do. I enjoy being able to turn off most of my brain and get transported into another world. And I'm one of those TV watchers that focuses so intently on the screen 
that I'm lost to most of the things around me. This has drove a few girlfriends and my mother nuts over the years because they'll be talking to me, assuming I'm listening, and then I'll be like, huh? What? Were you talking to me? <laughs> that kind of pisses people off, but it makes for a very enjoyable TV watching experience when you can lock in on that TV and everything around you fades away and you are sucked into the middle of that TV experience. And finally, for many Americans, TV has become as much a part of life as eating and sleeping. I'm not sure if this is necessarily a good thing, but it is indeed a fact of life. And in my current situation, I go, I wake up, go to work, work hard, come home, I sit down, I do some other interests, whether it's comic books, reading, or playing out on the computer, watching web series, things like that. But when TV time comes around, I'm locked in, and I watch... As we've said in the past episodes, way too much television. But I love it. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely a fact of current American life, is that TV is an important part. All I've got to say is amen to that, man. <laughs> amen to that. TV's awesome. TV is life. We had some pretty addicted people to television talk on our show. That nod goes to you, Dana. I know you're really obsessed with TV, which is great. Nico and I totally respect that. We respect all of you who listen to this podcast that are addicted to us, TV as we are. We're going to keep having great things come to you guys down the pipe. So, we're going to wrap things up for this week's episode. At next week's episode, I already have part of the script written, but I'm really, really pumped and excited about it. We're going to do an episode on all the TV-based news that was revealed at Comic-Con through the G4 special and also YouTube videos that we tracked down online of the various panels. So basically next week is going to include Nico and I discussing the trailer screenings and celebrity panels that occurred at the convention in which the people behind our favorite shows share information about their new season premiering in the fall. Again, I'm really pumped for next week's episode. It's going to be great. Definitely go ahead and check it out. And for those of you that are jonesing for this next podcast, I'm actually going to set up some links to where you can get to these panel videos and watch them before our next episode airs or with our next episode, just so you're in the know with everything and feel more connected to our episode. Next, I would just like to thank, once again, everyone who took the time to give us an interview. All of your input was extremely important to this episode. We thank you a lot, and if you want to be on the episode more or get on again, Feel free to email us or communicate us in the various ways, which we'll get to in just a second. And I also want to give a special thanks to Dan Persak, who really gave a lot of wonderful, wonderful insight. And unfortunately, we couldn't include it all on this episode, but we just want to thank you for taking the time to share with everyone what Horizon's all about and your passion for it. It was a really great thing. So thanks a lot, Dan. Also, you can contact us at a variety of different places. You can email us at our Gmail address, which is across the airways at gmail.com. You can visit our website and comment on the post for this episode or any other episode at www.acrosstheairways.com. You can also check out our Twitter at Across Airwaves. And you can also call and leave a voicemail. Again, we are desperately seeking that first voicemail so we can read it on the air. We're really looking forward to that. So you can call us at what number, Nico? 773-809-3363. Also, I want to give out a shout-out to Joel, our, one of our hosts on the Avatar episode. He has set up his own YouTube account 
which features a video blog starring him, and it's all about his great and exciting music career. So we're going to add up some connections to his website on our website at acrosstheairways.com. So keep an eye out for a link and maybe a page connection to what he is doing online. Also, we're going to add a link to Horizon's website. So if you're interested in volunteering to help out as an attendant next year at Horizon or want to provide them with money to make this great and exciting camp possible, look for that link and connect to it. And once you get to that page, you can find out everything you need to know to help support Horizon because they need $95,000 to get camp to run next year. And every little bit would help. So if you could help them out, that would be great. And we'd really appreciate it. So once again, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Rexford. And until next week, we'll catch you on the air Put down the deck if you want to play the saxophone. One more time. Put down the deck. I say, I say, put it down. Put down the deck if you want to play the saxophone. Yeah. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.